Mr. Chairman and delegates, I accept your nomination for President of the United States. Madam Chairwoman, delegates, I accept your nomination for President of the United States. Never knew college graduate thought they'd have a good job by now. That dogged faith in the future which has pushed this nation forward, even when the odds are great. This is when our nation was supposed to start paying down the national debt and rolling back those massive deficits. Over the next few years, big decisions will be made in Washington on jobs, the economy, taxes, and deficits. A choice between two fundamentally different visions for the future. Now is the moment when we can stand up and say, I'm an American. I make my destiny. We deserve better. My children deserve better. We have been there. We've tried that, and we're not going back. My family deserves better. My country deserves better. If you have a Bible or a smartphone Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew the first gospel, first book of the New Testament, chapter 6, we're going to read from verse 24 to verse 34 in just a moment. It is that time of season in our country. Every four years, this is what happens, every four years, the rhetoric heats up, every four years, the anxiety levels escalate a little higher. Every four years, the animosity for our fellow Americans kind of comes full on in front of ourselves. And when we, we, we get heated, we get sometimes embarrassed in conversations, we get sometimes locked into a debate that we didn't want to be a part of. I mean, how many of us, maybe you experienced that even this couple of past months or this week, that you just get into that conversation with somebody who does not share your political persuasion? And before you know it, what started off as a hi, how are you, has turned into this really anxious, filled, you know, just kind of like angry debate with somebody that you don't really even care that they believe opposite, and you just want out of this conversation as fast as possible. This is what kind of like happens around this time of season in our country. Every four years this happens. Or maybe you've been the victim of the infamous Facebook comment political debate. How many know what I'm talking about? You post your Facebook opinion and then somebody that you're really close with, and you didn't even know this, but they actually are voting for the other guy. And they start commenting on your post about how wrong you are. And they actually even come to your church. And you're like, can we still be friends? I'm not sure. Maybe we need to start thinking about going our separate ways. Or whatever it is, but they're there's something about this season that gets us fired up. And we kind of like hedge down into our little bunkers of political persuasions and we just start aiming at each other and hitting each other. And we sometimes forget as Christians that God reigns over all. That Jesus is not president. He is not elected. He is Lord of Lords. King of kings, the author and the finisher of our faith, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the almighty living God who sits enthroned on the throne of the universe. And no man or political party or issue is going to take him off that throne. 
And so we approach this season with faith, not freaking out. The title of the message this morning is this, Seek First or Freak Out. (laughs) Seek First or Freak Out. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Let's go there and then also let's stand together as we read from the sixth chapter of, of Matthew. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Somebody say anxious. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither, reap, no, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Father in heaven feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious about your life, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, and the word Gentiles here could be just meaning unbelievers. Basically, that's what he's saying. Unbelievers seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first. Somebody say, seek first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, we approach your word with humility. And I ask that by the end of these moments together, that every single person in this room and listening to this message by video will hear what you want us to hear. We open our hearts. We open our hearts. We open our ears. We offer you our bodies, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. Have your way in our lives. Have your way in our opinions. Have your way in our ideals. We are not, we are not smart enough to make all these decisions, but we ask for wisdom from you, knowing that if we ask you, you will give generously to us without reproach. And we ask that for these moments and for the rest of our lives, and especially for these next two weeks, in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. God bless you. Matthew 6.33 is one of those verses you should memorize. And and I'm, I'm all for memorizing passages of the Bible. You really need to do that as a, as a discipline, as a spiritual practice. You got your favorite pop song memorized. <laughs> memorize the Bible. It'll help you. And this is one of those verses. You know, Psalm 27, verse 1, that's a good one to memorize. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 8, that's a good one to memorize. First Peter 5, 8, that's a good one to memorize. Colossians 3, 16, great one. But, but Matthew 6, 33, 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, what shall we eat, what shall we wear, what shall we drink, all these things shall be added to you. Memorize that verse. It'll help you. It'll bless you. It'll root you and ground you in what is really important in your life. So let's say it together, and let's let the memorization process begin, because that's how you start. Ready? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This is an important verse for this season in our life because I want you to notice that around Matthew 6.33, Jesus uses the word anxious six times. Six times. He's saying, put God first. Put God first. First in your finances. That's why we tithe. God, you are first in my finances. Put God first in your relationships. God, I'm going to hold the relationships you want me to hold. Put God first in your parenting, in your marriage. Pray together. Put God first in your day. Get on your knees before the day begins and ask God, I want to be your servant today. What do you want me to do today before you get out there and start doing it on your own? Put God first. Seek first the kingdom. Now, when he, means, when he says seek, he's not saying that you've got to look for it. He's saying make the kingdom of God the central issue of your life the focus. And when you do this, you will not have to be anxious about anything. Your confidence level will rise inside of you. And nothing politically, economically, socially, financially, or even relationally will be able to shake you from that unmovable foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be able to stand the test of time, the test of seasons, the test of struggles, the test of trials, coming through with flying colors because you have put God first and he has added all these things to your life. So we need this message. We need this verse rooted in here for voting season in America. Because if there's one thing about our voting season that, that you know, we all, we all could see this, we all will agree with this statement. Politicians love to play the fear card. I mean, you've seen the commercials, right? Fear. If you vote for this man, America will go bankrupt by November 8th. And you will be to blame. You know, I mean, you, you, you've seen the ads. You've been inundated. You've been, you've been you know, attacked even maybe personally. And, and you feel the anxiety level coming up because you're taught. You're conjoled. You're convinced that the other guy is going to wreck your world, wipe out your social security, eliminate your ability to retire, take your job away, cut down your union, make you live in a van down by the river. <laughs> and we will, if not careful, we will get so caught up in this political discourse that we will cast a vote based on what we fear rather than what we are for. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I, I, I'm for righteousness. And, and, and all these things will be added unto you. By the way, I'm Pastor Tim, and I approve this message. Amen. 
<laughs> fear sells. Fear sells. And that's why they're always playing the, the, the fear card. And, and, and I, I don't know, you've probably seen some of the commercials. I saw one. It was absolutely ridiculous. Young Hollywood celebrities coming on and saying, if you vote for a pro-life president, don't you know that a woman won't be able to see your gynecologist without a member of Congress present? I mean, basically, <laughs> that's an exaggeration, but basically that's what they were kind of selling. Fear sells. I was listening to a talk radio station, and uh, this person, this lady comes on. She's like, I'm not voting. I'll never vote for Mitt Romney because he's against birth control. He's not against birth control. Get the facts straight. He's against religious organizations paying for your birth control because of the new health care bill. And by the way, let me just say, this is as, as, partisan, as partisan as I get. I stand with our Catholic brothers and sisters on that issue. There is no right of any government official to force a religious institution to pay for something that they hold to be not acceptable in our lives. And I'm all for birth control, so it doesn't bother me, all right? I believe in birth control. Thank the Lord. I got three kids. That's enough. Amen. But <laughs> the Catholics, and by the way, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to say that. Um, I stand <laughs> with our Catholic brothers. And the separation of church and state deal, that was instituted to make sure that the government doesn't interfere into the state. I mean, that the government doesn't interfere into the church, not the other way around. So if I was to say one thing and sum this all up with, with one last statement, please do not cast your vote based on something somebody told you, third hand. Get the facts. Do your research and cast the vote that you feel in your heart is right for the country. There are people that will cast a vote based on a 30-second commercial. Are you kidding me? Like a 30-second commercial? All right, this is nonsense. Get the information and make a righteous choice. Amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. So we do see, though, in this country, fear sells. By the way, it sells on the Christian side, too. Okay, I've got, you know, relatives, I've got Christian friends, they freak out when the wrong guy gets elected. You know, they're going to take away our freedom of speech. They're going to take away our tax-exempt status. They're going to, Obama's a secret Muslim. I mean, it's like constant barrages of fear. You know, all, all these things. And I've been to Christian law conferences, and I, and I go to these places because, well, I used to go to these things. And they teach you basically how the law and the church interact right now. And I've been to them. Let me tell you something. They scare the faith right out of you. And they're Christians. And it's like, you know, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. You can't do this. You're not going to be able to do that. And it's like, listen, wait, stop the train for a minute. We serve a God who is all-powerful. We serve a Jesus who is Lord. He was not elected. And if they take away our tax exemptions at us, then we will pay the taxes. And then we're really going to tell you who to vote for. But well, there's nonsense about fear, 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 fear. Got to knock it off. Can't let that get in here. Can't let that get in your heart. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Here's how you don't have to be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God will take care of the rest. Amen. Why does fear sell? Why in this country... And, and I don't know if you agree with this statement, but I, I believe this is accurate. It seems that every four years, the election cycle gets more heated than the last. 
Like the rhetoric just gets more, you know, animated and kind of cutting and chippy. And, and, it, and it's almost like, you know, we just come to, we just be, begin to hate each other. And it gets worse and worse. Why? Fear. But where is this fear coming from? What's the root of it? I believe I know what the answer is. And, and, and here's, here's why we get so fearful. Because our country for the last 50 years has been on this trend. It's a disturbing trend. It's a trend that, that has pastors and leaders in the church concerned for the well-being of people's souls. Because let's, let's be honest, the government's not going to wreck your soul, but there is something that will. And this trend has happened for, for many decades where, where we've gotten to the point where we're so worried about who gets elected and we get so worked up that we actually look like unbelievers. Well, why? And the answer is not what you think. That, that God has been kind of pushed out of the consciousness of America. This is, this is the trend that we have seen. The dividing line of hostility between public policy and personal faith. And you've heard the statements. Keep your God out of our government. A couple of months ago, there was a young atheist girl in a, in, in a high school in Rhode Island who, who got this prayer banner removed from the gymnasium or the auditorium, which had been there for years, decades. It bothered one 12-year-old atheist or 15-year-old atheist, and they take it down. And it's, it's this constant turning away, removing the con God from the conversation of public policy and, and, and life in American politics. Keep your faith to yourself. It's okay you believe that, but keep it to yourself. Why has this happened? We have to answer that question. And the answer is not what some of you think. Because I know that some of you think that the problem is the devil. The devil has pushed God out of the conversation. No, that's not true. No. God can't be pushed around by the devil. The devil has no power over God. Never has, never will. The other answer that some people like to throw out there is Hollywood. Hollywood is the problem. No, I'm not a big fan of Hollywood. You know that. But let's, let's be real. Hollywood is not pushing God out of the government. Okay? They can't do that. Um, they might be a byproduct, but they aren't the cause. And the other answer might be, well, God is just uncool. Well, that's not true either. All you got to do is watch the Emmys or the Grammys and watch how many singers and artists get up there and say, I just want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for this, this, this uh, trophy or whatever it is. Or you got to watch football with Tim Tebow or basketball with Jeremy Lin. I mean, God is not uncool. What is it? Why has our country deliberately for the several last decades pushed God out of the conversation. One word. Affluence. Affluence. We are a country that is so blessed. We are a country that is so prosperous. We don't even realize how prosperous we are. You go overseas to any other country, almost any other country in this world, and you would be shocked to see just how good we have it. And we have so much money and so many fail-safes, like even if you lose your job, you got government there to help you. Even if everything falls apart, you can claim bankruptcy. 
I, got, I know people who have basically not paid their mortgage for the last two years because they were told not to so that they could get bailed out. This is where we are as a country. There is so much money here that we don't need God anymore. And this is what Jesus means when he says no one can serve two masters. You're either going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And you look at the history of almost any kingdom, any nation, and you will see that there was a point at which they arrived at this level of affluence, and suddenly the scales started to tip in the other direction, and the moral decline began, and a spiritual decline began, and an unrighteous tide swelled underneath this reality that we don't need God because we have so much. Some people say that New England is one of the hardest places to preach the gospel, and I would agree with them. I go to Christian conferences, and I tell people how many people we have in our church, and they're like, in New England? Are you serious? And the reason is this. We are a highly educated, very affluent area of the nation. Um, you have to see this to catch what's going on with the politicians and the process in which we are during the electric, elect, election season. Because when we turn away from God, it's because we have so much. Here's what the Proverbs writer says in Proverbs 30, verse 8. He says, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? That's where we are. Israel is our example. You know, Israel was saved from 400 years of slavery to Egypt. For 400 years, and they cried out to God, God save us, and God saved them. And gave them Moses, and Moses brought 10 plagues on Egypt and delivered them mightily out of slavery. And then they were brought into the wilderness. And they lived on the gracious mercy of God by day and by night. Manna from heaven, quail from the sky, water from the rock, God miraculously provided for them for 40 years. And in the wilderness, they had just enough. Then, under Joshua, they move into the promised land, and they have houses and fields, and they build nice places to live, and they have plenty. And you watch, the Bible says that by the time Solomon ascends to the throne, that they were so wealthy as a nation that he literally made silver as common as stones in Jerusalem. That's pretty stinking wealthy. And it was right after that that there was this immediate and sure decline and turning away from God. And I look at our nation and I see that's where we are. That's where we are. It wasn't always like this. It wasn't always like this in this country. Do you know that on the day that our army invaded Normandy, the beaches of Normandy. It's called D-Day in the thrust of World War II. It's literally called the game-changing battle of the war. Do you know that our president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, get, got on the radio and called for a national day of prayer and fasting, asking for almighty God's favor over our nation? We needed God then, and we asked for him. Then you look at the civil rights movement. Who started it? A pastor, Reverend Martin Luther King. And through the faith 
of righteous Christians. We abolish segregation, thank God, and we establish rights for all races in this nation. And then you look at 9-11, and 9-11 happens, and what happens the next Sunday after that? Churches are flooded with people, flooded and, and, and overwhelmed by attendances that they hadn't seen for years. We needed God then. But something about us, we get to a place where we're comfortable, we're good, and slowly but surely we grow rich, and we deny him and we say, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? We don't need God in our politics. We don't need God in our government. And the reason is because we have money, affluence. And so here's what happens. This is why we get so scared. This is why politicians love to play the fear card. Because all they have to do now is this. All they have to do is tie the issue to your wallet and get your vote. How do we get so cheap as a country? How do we get so cheap as a nation? Because when we look away from God, when we get to the place where we think we're, we've made it, all that we need is our money. And by the way, for everybody who loves the book of Revelation and the end times, and, 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 and you've read those passages, I want to remind you something. The Bible says that the Antichrist is going to rule the nations, not by threat of nuclear war and not by famine or disease or pestilence. He's going to rule the nations because he's going to limit people with the mark on their hand or on their forehead. And if you don't have the mark, you won't be able to what? Buy or sell. He'll rule through our wallets. You've got to settle this issue out in your life now. And many of you, you've heard me say this many times. Don't serve money. Don't fall for it. Don't put money at the pinnacle of your knees because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God will take care of you. But you've got to settle this out. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to put your faith in the dollar or are you going to put your faith on the God we say we trust in on that dollar? We've got to settle it now, now, so that we don't cast a vote for fear, but we cast a vote for what is right. So I want to give you four points. Don't vote for fear. Don't vote for fear. And, and for that matter, don't live in fear. Don't live in fear. Number one, I don't have to fear because God values me. God values me. Everybody say that with me. Ready? God values me. Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns. They don't, you don't find a little bird with a little checking account, a little savings account. No 401k for flying things. You know, nothing like that. And he says, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more, what, value than they? If you're a man or a woman, you're valuable. God made the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars. He made the sea. He made the fish. He made the birds. He made everything. And then on the sixth day, he says, let's make man in our image, in our likeness. Human beings are the pinnacle of his creation. He values you. You are made in the image of almighty God. 
and we sinned. Yes, we blew it big time. But God didn't give up on us, did he? He sent prophets and deliverers and men of God. And then he ultimately sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ showed us just how valuable we are to God because he gave his life so that we could have life with God in eternity. That's how valuable you are to God. The value of the blood of his only begotten son. I was reading in Psalm 139 the other day. I want to read Psalm 139 because, man, I'll tell you, if you're not convinced that you're valuable after this, I got nothing left for you. Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I am down or stand, when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. In verse 13, he says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I cannot even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. How many think God values us? You're valuable to God. You don't need to freak out. You don't need to get caught up in all the rhetoric, all the fear of this political season. Amen. Um, Number two, fear adds nothing to my life. Worrying doesn't give you anything in return. I heard a statistic a while back. I'm not sure how true it is, but I look at my life and I think it's pretty true. 80% of what you worry about never happens. Never happens. I heard another pastor say it like this. Whatever you're worried about right now, whatever is like number one on your fear chart, three months from now, you won't even be thinking about it. But yet we just consume ourselves with anxiety and worry, don't we? Fear adds nothing. Jesus said, he said, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? It gives you nothing. It does nothing for your health. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 25, that anxiety in a, man's health, in a man's heart weighs him down. It does nothing for your attitude. It does nothing for your peace. It adds nothing. So why are you worried? Big worry issue for a lot of people. Tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow, tomorrow. What am I going to do? What did Jesus say? Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow. And when you do that, this wonderful thing that happens, tomorrow never comes. Because it's always today. And you've already assigned tomorrow's worry to tomorrow. And you're always living today. So don't worry about tomorrow. Be at peace. Fear adds nothing. I was having a conversation with somebody about the political process. My neighbor, actually. We're voting for the same guy. So it was a very calm, rational conversation. And he said these words, and you've probably heard these words. Oh, oh we, we need to vote for this person because if, if this person wins the election, I don't want to see what our country is going to look like in four years. How many have heard something similar like that? I don't want to see what our country is going to look like in four years. And I walked away in the conversation, and I'm like, man, I, I'm pretty sure that four years from now, our country is going to pretty much look the same. You know? Except that we'll be on the iPad 10 and the iPhone 9. 
but it's pretty much, you know, it's going to be good. Like, this is a, this is a big selling point for politicians. They're going to take away your social security. They're going to, they're going to eliminate Medicaid. How many elections have we been through where that has been debated constantly and still they're there every single time? What I'm asking to do is don't fall for it. Put your faith in the kingdom of God. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and know that he will take care of it. And the promises of a politician ultimately ultimately will not be the solution. Fear adds nothing to your life. Um, many people, they vote against somebody instead of for somebody. Like many of you, that's probably, yeah, that's, that's what I'm planning on doing. I'm, I'm, I'm voting against someone. And, and, and I want to just caution you about that because that, again, is a vote for fear. You're afraid of what someone will do to you. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. There's only one way to illustrate this. The word trap means a hook in the nose in Hebrew. A hook in the nose is for animals. And so forgive the illustration, but this is what many people are going to go to the polls like. And and it's just like, oh no, what's he going to do to my retirement? What's he going to do to my social security? What's he going to do to my... And you just, oh no, and you're just laid around by this hook of fear. Oh, the Republicans there, oh no, no, all the Democrats, oh. Relax. Trusting the Lord means safety. (laughs) Relax. Fear adds nothing. Number three, God loves to adorn things. Um, Matthew 6, 30, 30, he says, but if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today, it's alive, tomorrow it's thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? A little later he says, look at the lilies of the field. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. Look at roses. Look at tulips. Look at the natural landscapes of our nation and our world. God is in the habit of making things beautiful. He's not cheap. He's going to take really good care of you. I'm looking at some good-looking people this morning. You're well-dressed. Most of you, are, you've combed your hair. Some of you don't need to worry about that. But you're blessed, amen? Anybody out there blessed? Amen. I mean, God, why? Because God is good. God is, God is a generous, giving God with Bountiful blessings. And he clothes the lilies, so he's going to clothe you. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 3, it says, He makes all things beautiful in his time. So even if you're ugly now, (laughs) give it time. Psalm 8, verse 4 says that he has crowned mankind with glory and honor. You're valuable to God, and he loves to adorn you. He wants it to go well with you. But again, you got to put him first. You've got to put him first. Number four, and finally, fear is for unbelievers. Jesus says it like this. Don't be anxious about what will we eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear. That's for unbelievers to worry about. 
You people getting all caught up in these election seasons, people getting all caught up in what's going to happen to our country, people getting all worried about their retirement and their money and their bank accounts and their affluence, that's a worry for people without faith. You people are people of faith. You're children of God. You're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. When people look at you, when they hear the words that come out of your mouth in the office or in the school, are they words that are filled with anxiety, fear, and tension, or are they words of faith? Are they words that say, I, I, I'm marching to the beat of a different drummer. I, I'm, I'm a member of a different kingdom, a kingdom that has no end, a kingdom that will soon come to this earth, and every I will see Jesus, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So I don't have to get all right now. I don't. I'm going to go to the polls, and I encourage you to do so. And don't vote for what makes us richer. Vote for what makes us right. Vote for what makes the kingdom of God a better reality in our world. Because I'm not here to tell you who to vote for, but I am definitely here to tell you how to vote. Vote for what makes us right. And Jesus says, he says, look, I want you to live. I want you to live like you know that God is your father. And he's going to take care of you. And if that's the case, how would you vote? How would you vote? And if your guy doesn't get in, don't worry. Don't worry, because here's what the Bible says in Psalm 146. It says, look, don't put your confidence in powerful people. Don't put your power, confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and all their plans die with them. Hallelujah. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. I want you to stand with me.